Let's hear the word of God. The Bible reading tonight is John chapter 15, at verses 1 through to 17. The words will come up on the screen. Please follow along. Let's hear the word of God tonight. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you're clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and then gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. My text tonight is taken from John chapter 15, verse 9. It reads as follows, As the Father have loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. And my theme this evening is entitled The Wonder of True Love on Valentine's Day. Now today, the 14th of February, is known in the English-speaking world as Valentine's Day or the Feast of St. Valentine. Did you know that Valentine's Day originated as a Roman Catholic feast? honoring at least one or two early martyrs. Ancient oral tradition has it that a professing Christian by the name of Valentine ministered to and assisted other Christians who were being persecuted during the third century within the Roman Empire. For his crime, he too was imprisoned. Tradition has it that in the jailhouse that he prayed for and treated and healed the sight of the blind jailer's daughter. 
Before his execution, he wrote her a letter. And he's supposed to have signed it, Yours Valentine. That was his name. Now, that was on the 14th of February, 269 AD. And then in AD 496, Pope Gelaleus issued a directive for the day to be celebrated as a feast day. And that day has become synonymous with heroic and romantic love. Did you know that it is officially a feast day within the Anglican Church? I'm not saying we should celebrate it as a feast day or a religious festival. I'm only stating an historic fact. In the 18th century, Valentine's Day grew right up to our present time as a day to express your love to another by presenting flowers, offering chocolates, sending greeting cards, making heart-shaped outlines and cutouts. And of course, wives have already heard today from their husbands, I'll cook for you on Valentine's Day. I'll prepare the meal. I'll do the dishes, dear. Uh, you go for a walk. You have a bath. Uh, you make yourself nice and have a rest. You see, today the world has become obsessed with Valentine's Day. Uh, Valentine's Day is known as the day for Valentine's love. I, I think of what someone told me a long time ago about love. That it was the minimum of evaluation and the maximum of emotion. Many silly poems have been produced for Valentine's Day. It, it makes you laugh. You see, Valentine's love is an emotional type of love. A romantic puppy kind of love, a love with little depth, a love without real meaning. It's a kind of, of soft, soppy, sentimental type of love. Let me illustrate. What do farmers give their wives and girlfriends for Valentine's Day? Here's the answer. Hogs and kisses. Someone else has wrote another little poem. What's the best part of Valentine's Day? And the answer was the day after. For chocolates and flowers go on sale. I have known young men to spend 30 pounds on a bunch of flowers. And when I think of Valentine's Day love, I think of the expression of that love. I see a huge difference between this kind of sweet, shallow, superficial, on the surface love and the love of God in Christ. God's love is indeed sweet, but it's not shallow. God's love is not superficial. In fact, it's deeply spiritual. In fact, it's supernatural. In fact, it's special. You see, God's love is not a mile wide and an inch deep. I've discovered, I know this, about the makeup of men and women, that men and women have three basic needs psychologically. And their greatest need is to be wanted. Their greatest need is to be needed. Their greatest need is to be loved. And we want people to know that they're wanted and needed and loved here in Carried Off FPC. I want to tell you tonight, if you do not know and never tasted or experienced the love of God in Christ, you have no clear, real, deep understanding of true love. You see, young men today think that Valentine's Day love is true love. When they sign the card with the silly poems on it, 
or they give the gift, or they prepare the meal, or they spend time with their girlfriend, or husbands spend time with their wives, and maybe even in the uh, moment they have a hot tub experience. I want to tell you tonight, listen to me carefully, it peels into insignificance. It's a faint shadow. It's a mere reflection when compared with the love of God in Christ. The greatest love in the world is revealed and explained and expounded in the greatest book in the world, namely the Holy Scriptures. And in the Scriptures, we've got the love of God revealed in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word love is mentioned 442 times in the Bible. Did you know that 39 of these are in the Gospel of John? And John 15 verse 9 is one such reference. John could be described as an expert in love. If Paul's an expert in faith, then John could be described as an expert in love. And he wrote about the purest and the highest and the best kind of love ever known and experienced. And it's the love of God in Christ. You see these words, John 15 and 9, have to be placed within the context of the upper room discourse. The Lord Jesus is in conversation with his disciples. He's trying to encourage them. He's trying to help and comfort them. He's told them he's going away. They're very sad. They're confused. They're wanting to know where he's going to. Of course, he's going to the cross. In fact, the very next day after this discourse, he's going to uh, the cross to suffer the wrath of God, to lay down his life for his people, and finish the great work of atonement. He's just told them that one of you will betray me. They're all filled with all kinds of doubt and fears and uncertainty and distress. They've enjoyed his company for three and a half years. They have given up all to follow him. And here they are, troubled in their heart and in their life. And Christ, of course, is well aware of their doubts and their fears. He understands the issues that they have. He knows the thoughts that they're wrestling with. He's a true friend. Remember, a, a, a true friend, a brother loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. He, he cares for his own. He's trying to comfort his own. And in that comforting process... He wants them to know that he loves them. He unburdens himself to them. Notice what he says. Remember, this is one reference out of 39 recorded by John out of the 442 in the Bible. And what does he say to them? As the Father have loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Isn't it fitting that we come to this on Valentine's Day night? Do we not remember that it's written his banner over us? is love. Do we not, and should we not consider the constant, deep, deep love of the Lord Jesus? Can we not think of him who gave himself for us, who loved us? You see, I thought about the title, The Wonder of True Love on Valentine's Day. As I thought of this text of scripture, I thought of three things. I want you to think of the description of Christ's love here. As the Father have loved me, so have I loved you. What's the Lord Jesus doing? He's confirming his love for his people. He's describing to them, I loved you. You see, men would be miserable and women to think that nobody loves me. Nobody understands me. Nobody cares for me. 
But to make them merry and to enjoy merriment, to hear the words, I love you, those words would be deliberately designed to encourage them. The Lord Jesus is dealing with the doubts and fears of his people. He wants them to know something. And he wants them to know this. I have loved you. And what's true of a courting couple tonight or true of a married couple for a husband to say to his wife, a boy to say to his girlfriend, I love you. When they hear this, there's a feel-good factor. And, and these disciples had to be encouraged with these words, I have loved you. But in this description of Christ's love to them, it wasn't just, I have loved you. It's not only that, but he's telling them how much he loved them. Here's the extent. As the Father have loved me, so have I loved you. I want you to think of the great, unmeasurable, incomprehensible love of Jesus Christ for you and me. As the Father. That's a reference to God the Father. As the Father have loved me, so have I loved you. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that mind-blowing? Isn't that wonderful tonight? Is that not special? I, I believe it is. He doesn't say, I loved you as a man loves a woman, or as a mother loves a child, or a boy loves his dog or his cat. As the Father have loved me. So have I loved you. Let the words sink in. Don't doubt it tonight. I want you to believe it. I want you to accept it. I want you to embrace it. You see, this is a real, true, spiritual, supernatural, special kind of love. There's nothing small about it. Nothing shaky here. Nothing suspect. Nothing shallow. Think of it. In the same way and to the same degree the Father loves me, I have loved you. Does that not make the love of Christ very precious and special tonight? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Is it not written in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25? It says there, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Didn't Paul talk about Galatians 2 and 20, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me? We often assent to this. Think of the words, Jesus loves me. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I believe that. Do you believe that tonight? But our view of that is so shallow. It's so low. And I want you to think tonight, in this description of Christ's love, I want you to think of Christ's love as precious. You see, loved by Christ as Christ is loved by the Father. And the Father's love for Christ was eternal. It was infinite. There was never a time when Christ was not loved by the Father. The Father's love toward Christ knew no beginning. It knew no end. Oh, that we could grasp that. The love of the everlasting Father for the everlasting Son. Christ was with the Father in eternity past. He was loved by the Father from eternity past. The, the Father and Son had a Trinitarian relationship. They were co-equal and co-eternal. They coexisted. 
Listen to what's written in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 8. And we think of the words there in verse 30. Then I was by him, as one brought up with him. I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Proverbs 8 and verse 30. And of course, this is a reference to wisdom. And Christ has made unto us the wisdom of God. And wisdom is personified as being daily the Father's delight. Before the world began, before creation was made, before the sun and the moon and the stars were hung in the sky, before the world was, before all ages, God the Father loved God the Son. It's an eternal, infinite kind of love. I want you to understand, not a general, meaningless love of benevolence. It's a distinct, peculiar, precious kind of love. The Lord Jesus says, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. What's he saying to them? My love for you is eternal. My love for you is infinite. I loved you long before my incarnation, my virgin, before I ever set foot in this earth, even before I made the universe, long before you heard my name and heard the gospel, I have loved you. Doesn't Jeremiah 31 and 3 say, I have loved you with a, an everlasting love. Christ's love for us commenced in eternity past. There's no date of origin to that love. There's no beginning. It's eternal. You see, in human relationships, whether one is courting or whether one is married, the lady can usually fix a date when you first met. The first outing. The first kiss. The first date. The date you got engaged. The date you proposed, the date you get married, the date the children was born, the date of your birthday and hers, the date of anniversaries. Women, I think, are besotted by dates. Men usually forget, have to be reminded. I have to be reminded. I'm very fickle when it comes to dates. I get dates mixed up because of my dyslexia. But Christ's love had no date. And we get asked, when did you love us, Lord? And here's the answer. I've loved you in eternity past. Before there was ever a clock or a calendar. Before there was a sun in the sky and an earth to live in. I have loved you. It's eternal and infinite. That's how precious and peculiar this love is. Can I tell you something else? It's a peculiar kind of love. Why did he love us? Here's the answer. I've read this before. In Deuteronomy chapter 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people for you were the fewest of all people but because the Lord loved you. Deuteronomy 7 verses 7 and 8. There was nothing in us that made the Lord to love us. You think again of a courting couple someone gets married there's something there that ignited the spark. There was a smile. There was the notice of the hair. Maybe an attraction as far as One's figure was concerned, a particular charm. There was a sign of something desirable and, and, and there was a spark of love within one's heart. But there was nothing lovely that attracted God to us. 
Remember, we were rebel sinners before him. We were dead in trespasses and sin. We were like a spiritual corpse before him in his sight. You, you think tonight of the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter um, 1 and verse 5 and 6, we read, The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint from the sole of the foot even unto the head. There's no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. In the book of Genesis, we read this description. Genesis chapter 6 and 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man in the earth. And it grieved him in his heart. And over there in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 14 and in the verse uh, 3 there, we read uh, these particular words. This is the psalmist's description. He's thinking about the makeup of men. He says this, they're all going to say, they are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And over then in Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 7, the Lord Jesus said, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. And here's Paul in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 7, and in the verse 18, he, he makes this statement. He says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. There was nothing to make God to love us. We were totally depraved in sin. Our, our will was depraved. Our understanding was darkened our emotions were diseased and yet he chose nothing in us to love and yet he chose to love us that's how peculiar it is could I tell you something else that's personal here's the Lord Jesus saying to his disciples I loved you it's intimate it's personal you see this love is real he loves us individually he loves us personally. He's praying for us tonight. He knows our name. He knows our need. There's nothing impersonal here in this conversation. It's true that he loves us collectively. But it's equally true he loves us individually. He, he, he loves us intimately. The Son of God who loved me gave himself for me. Galatians 2 and 20. Ephesians 5, 25. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. It's personal. Can I tell you something else? It's powerful. It's unchangeable. Human love, of course, rises and falls, wax and wanes, it's highs and lows. And individuals, sadly, in relationships fall out of love in the courting stage and even in relation to marriage. It's sad. Choices of consequences. But the love of the father towards his son was unchangeable. So was Christ's love for us. There was never a time when the father didn't love the son. It's unchangeable. It's, it's immutable. Even on the darkest hours when Christ was in the cross, God the Father could come and say to his son, I love you. His love is unchangeable. And tonight Christ can't love us any more today than he already has. He won't love us any less tomorrow. Remember Romans 8 and verse 35, the Apostle Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. 
Can sickness tonight? Can trial and tribulation? Can persecution? Even your sin? Not stop God loving you unchangeably. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not only unchangeable, it's immeasurable. It has no limits. It's a love without limits. Who can tell the love of God the Father toward his Son? Who can put a limit on the love of God? The length and the breadth and the depth and the height, we can't measure it. It's too high. It's too wide. We are wretched and miserable sinners, wicked sinners, dead in trespasses, and and yet Christ set his love on us. And he's saying, I have loved you as much as the Father hath loved me. Oh, that we could see how precious and how peculiar and how personal and yet how powerful this love is. That's the description of this love. Very quickly, you to think of the demonstration of Christ's love. Isn't this a wonderful statement? As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. So have I loved you. It's a love, of course, that displays itself. It's a love that's been revealed. How does Christ love his own? How is it demonstrated? Let me answer that. In his covenant. That takes us into eternity past, the covenant of redemption between God the Father and God the Son. And God the Father gave Christ to people. Ephesians 1 and 4 talks about being chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. And in that covenant, Christ pledged to the Father to do all that's necessary to procure for the redemption and salvation of his people. I want you to think of that inter-Trinitarian relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in that covenant of redemption, before the world was made, ever before you and I were born, before the world began, before the fall into sin, Here's proof of his everlasting love. His infinite, unchangeable, unmeasurable love. It's seen in his covenant. It's seen in his cross. Galatians 2 and 20. The son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Where did he give himself? At the cross. Isn't this the context here of John 15? Think of verse 13. Greater love of no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And where did Jesus Christ lay down his life? The answer is at the cross. Over there in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, we read this. And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. Does not bring us to the cross, does not bring us to Calvary. Remember the Lord Jesus in John 13 and verse 1. We read these words. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were with him in the world, he loved them unto the end. You you think of this, the hour has come. And then in John 18 and 1, we read these words. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where was a garden into the which he entered with his disciples. Think of Christ in the garden of Gethsemane after this discourse. Then to Pilate's judgment hall. Then to Herod, back to Pilate, where he was scourged and unjustly tried, and they cried out, crucify him. And then we, we come to the cross itself. 
And we think of Paul's words in Romans 5 and verse 8. You think of Christ in the cross. And what does it say there? But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And over there in John, in 1 John chapter 4, we read the words, and this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Christ in the cross was the substitute. Christ on the cross was the surety. Christ on the cross was the sin bearer. Christ was the sacrificial lamb for us all to become our saviour. His love was demonstrated in his cross. His love was demonstrated in his care. Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's true collectively, isn't it? But it's all true individually. Having loved his own, he loved them unto the end. His own. He had a special care for his own. He saved his own. He wanted them to grow in grace and the knowledge of him. He wanted them to serve him. And he gave gifts to his church. And that you tonight have a pastor. And we have teachers. And we have evangelists. And we have the gift of helps and gifts of government. And it's all to uh, demonstrate his care for us. It's to show uh, his love for us. We don't often see it. And this is to bring about that, that we will love him and serve him. Does he not love us in his correction? Does he not correct and discipline us because we're wayward and cold and backslidden? He doesn't leave us alone. He takes faithful steps and measures to bring us back. Often we fall into sin. Often we go astray. But we're so prone to it. And what does he do? He doesn't leave us alone. He corrects us. He chastises us in love. Isn't this what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12? And listen to these words in verse 5. He says, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him, for whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And how does he do that? By bringing troubles into our life. By bringing the burden of guilt to bear. And oftentimes that guilt is unbearable. Oftentimes we're affected mentally and physically by that guilt. Maybe you're struggling with the guilt of sin right now. Because Christ is dealing with you in love in a corrective measure. And at other times he, he lays us aside. I have known and heard of Christ to break bones and put people in the hospital because they're turned their back on God and running away from him. And God's taking steps to save them and restore them. You think of the story of Jonah. Jonah and the whale. What is that story? Is it not the story of a loving God taking steps to restore a wayward prophet? He speaks to us out of his word to bring about correction, to bring about conviction. Here's another way. He demonstrates his love in his communion. Think of the communion feast, the table. It's a special table, the Lord's table for the Lord's people. And in, on Christ's table, there's bread and wine that reminds us of his broken body and precious shed blood. It's, we have to think of his person and work. We, we focus on him. And remember, he instituted this in the very night in which he was betrayed. Another way he demonstrates his love in his comfort. Oh, how Christ can comfort. Coming alongside and, and putting his arm around us and, and carrying us in his arms. He loves us in his commandments. 
The commandments are pure and precious and powerful. They're, they're a light and a guide to us. We can have a knowledge of his will. They're not grievous. They're not injurious. He, he, he loves us, so he gives us this light. And we think of the context here. And, and he says, if you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. There's a connection. He demonstrates his love by giving us his commandments. And he demonstrates his love in his coming. He not leave us permanently. He is coming again for us. He's coming to bring us to himself. He's coming to deal with our enemies. He's coming to put the enemies under his feet. Oh, how much do we think of him? Think of the demonstration of his love in his covenant, in his cross, in his care, in his correction, in his communion, in his comfort, in his commandments, in his coming. It's all here in the book. So have I loved you. Let's think of this as we finish. The devotion of true love. What does he say by way of exhortation? Continue ye in my love. We have thought about the extent. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. We have seen that described for us. We have thought about the evidence as I've demonstrated it tonight. But think about this exhortation. It's an exhortation to devotion. Continue ye in my love. Here's my exhortation to you. Think of it here. The Father's love for Christ. Christ's love for his people. And his people's love for each other. Continue ye in my love. See, we have to think of our love for one another. John 15 verse 12. This is my commandment. That ye love one another. As I have loved you. You see, let's have a sense of belonging. Our union with Christ, our union in Christ, brings about a union with other believers. Our love for each other is shown and demonstrated by our love of Jesus Christ and our union with him. We are members of the body of Christ. And our love for the Lord will be demonstrated and seen and manifest in our love for each other. Now, God's people come from different backgrounds, have different ways of thinking, different likes and dislikes. We, we, we have different ideals, but we're commanded to love one another. What does that mean? Well, we'll pray for each other. You pray for me and I'll pray for you. We're to help one another, do good to all men, especially there, the household of faith. We're to encourage one another and exhort one another. Much more as to see the day approaching. We're, we're, to, we're to love one another. And of course, this love for the saints, this is increased and, in, and inflamed because of the love of the Spirit. And as we said this morning, if you have the love of the Spirit, you'll have a love for the saints. You see, these words are addressed to you and me tonight as they were addressed to the disciples. Continue ye in my love. Isn't our love so faint and poor and weak in relation to Christ and then it's poor and faint and weak in relation to one another? Let me finish with two illustrations. I want you to think of a lady in Scotland. She's a hard-working lady. She's connected to the farming community there probably in the highlands of Scotland somewhere. She's cutting corn. 
And she's brought the baby out into the field with her as they're making the stalks of corn. She puts the baby in a safe place and she's stooping down and cutting. She's working hard. And then there's a cry goes up because a, 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 a great eagle comes swooping down. And it, in its talons, picks up the child and carries the child off to a high mountain. Now that woman's distraught. The men try to go to that mountain, try to climb it. But you know, as the story goes, and this is a true story, that woman climbed the mountain. Bit by bit, slowly she made her way to the top and retrieved her baby and brought that baby back down to safety to be with herself. Now, is not love, but that's a faint shadow of the love that Christ has for us. And, and that's the type of love that we have to have one for another. There's a story told about a preacher called Roland Hill. And he was given a hundred pounds to give to another poor minister. And there are such a thing as poor ministers. Roland Hill thought, this is an awful lot of money. A hundred pounds back then in the days of Roland Hill was a tremendous sum. It's probably like 10,000 pounds now. He thought to himself, I'm not going to give this all at one time to that poor minister. So what he did was, he divided it into 25 pound notes. And he put the five pound note into an envelope and sent it off to the poor minister with the little inscription, more to follow. And every two or three days, that little minister in that little parish, he got this letter with the words, more to follow. More to follow. And isn't that so true? Continue ye in my love, my love. Why? Because there's more to follow. And there's heights to scale. And there's depths to plummet. And the breadth of Christ's love cannot be fathomed. And oh, it's like putting our arms around a massive tree or a massive rock. We can't encompass it. The devotion of true love. Continue ye in my love. Let me ask tonight as we finish. And our time is gone. Do you know anything of the love of God in Christ? This special, this spiritual, this supernatural, this saving love of God in Christ. Can Christ say to you, continue you in my love? Because there was a dead commence. When you bowed the knee as a sinner to Jesus and you believed in him to the saving of your soul and you belonged to him and you've tasted and experienced the love of God in Christ and you can say now in truth, my Jesus, I love thee. For thee, all the pleasures of sin I resign. Can you say that tonight? Are you in Christ? Are you saved? Do you know you're saved? Is there evidence? And here's the evidence that you, you have a love for other saints. Oh, may God help us to know the love of God in Christ and to demonstrate by our love one to another. Let there be a devotion of true love in our hearts one to another. The Lord bless you tonight and thank you for listening.